John, we have Mina Kimes as the big get, and the NBA TV negotiations are already starting in public. Andrew, I could care less about that. It's all about the pod. Just ask Adam Silver. I mean, I try to consume as much as I possibly can. Um, is this where I plug your podcast? Please, yes. <laughs> Where's Andrew? And we're back, and I'm right here. Andrew Marshand, sports media columnist at New York Post. He's John Oran. Our good buddy there, John Arad, is the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And this is the Marshand and Oran Sports Media Podcast. The big get, Mina Kimes. You can go back and listen to the archives last week. A very fun interview with Aaron Andrews. Uh, a lot of great interviews. Uh, and Mina Kimes, we already recorded it. It's really good, real fun, real insightful. Really get into Jeff Saturday and maybe Mina Kimes' feature. Uh, in the NFL. Uh, you'll hear her answer about that, John. Andrew, before we get into who's up, who's down, everybody talks about Chris Russo's mispronunciation of my name. So now I think people think that's how they pronounce my name. Adam Silver just gave us a new drop, I think, right? Where's Andrew? Where's Andrew? All right. Well, I'm right here, Adam. Uh, I appreciate the shout out. Well, where was that at? Where were you doing that interview? That was at the Dealmakers Conference here in Washington, D.C. I was on stage with Adam. It's going to be topic one. We're going to get to it, but enough small talk. Let's get right into who's up, who's down. Who's up? Who's down? All right. And, you know, we mentioned Adam Silver. My who's up? Adam Silver. Uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing a trend here, Andrew. Every time I talk to somebody, they, they get on my who's up list. I'm, I'm very I easily say that. I wasn't going to sell you out like that, but I did notice that. I had to beat you to the punch. <laughs> but look, how can you tell that the NBA is in a good position when it comes to national media rights? Well, it's because people start to negotiate in public, even though we're three seasons ahead of time. Uh, hang on. For, for people that watch on YouTube, I'm pulling out a prop here because I can't talk about David Zaslav without putting on a vest. The Zaslav vest. He's uh, just like his protege or just like his mentor, Dick Ebersol. Always wears a vest everywhere. But he had quotes at a financial conference this week uh, in New York where he said, quote, we don't have to have the NBA. He said that he, you know, if they get the NBA, it has to be a forward looking deal. We had Michael Nathanson on a couple of weeks ago. He said Turner has to have the NBA. Turner re-signed the entire inside the NBA team, uh, including Charles Barkley. That's a message to the NBA that they need to have the NBA. So the, the fact that he went on to try to, you know, start the negotiations by saying, oh, it's not a must have. Uh, I, I think that it's pretty much a must have. Yeah, that brings me to my who's down. We're going to do it a little bit different. You go who's up, I'm going to go who's down. And mine's the NBA on TNT and David Zaslov. Uh, I got no props here. I don't have a vest. You don't have on. the vest? No vest for me. But <laughs> I feel like Kornheiser to your Wilbon now on uh, on, on PTI. Kornheiser's yeah. always the one wearing the, the doing the props. I kind of want to throw Zaslov a life preserver for that line. I don't know what he was thinking, uh, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to get big into this topic uh, in a little bit, but... To me, I don't know why you would say that if you're David Zaslov, if you want to do a deal with the NBA, the NBA is not going to like that. Uh, he's basically saying, hey, you know, the product's important. I mean, would, could you imagine anyone saying that about the NFL going into their negotiations? Uh, I'm surprised that he went there. And even if, he's, even if you, it's kind of mixed messaging too, because, you know, we made a big deal when they signed Charles Barkley, 10-year deal. 
uh, probably Tony Romo-ish money, uh, and then you know sign the rest of the inside the NBA crew iconic. That seemed to be okay. We're putting a salvo, starting our negotiation, showing how serious we are, and it does show that. But if you're posturing with the NBA, this is why, like when Michael Bass and the NBA, they always are sending me their ratings. They're like, we don't need the ratings. The NBA is in tremendous position. Obviously, there could be some headwinds in the economy coming up. That that's a variable that could factor in. But in terms of where they are negotiating wise, they're the biggest entity uh, that's going to be negotiating their national deals coming up in the next couple of years. It's a feeding frenzy to get this programming. Uh, I don't think Netflix will probably be involved, but even Netflix is starting to think about, should we get into live sports? Uh, and so uh, the NBA is going to have plenty of suitors. Adam Silver also did mention broadcast, which you took a shot at a couple of weeks ago in terms of T Turner. They do have HBO Max, but they don't have a broadcast channel. Uh, Silver brought up broadcast as a possibility. Obviously, they're already on ABC, but maybe they try to add more of that with CBS, Fox, NBC. Who knows who they who that comes with? So I, I thought that was an interesting comment, and I kind of think ill-advised. I'm not saying a deal won't happen, but I don't understand really why you want to upset the NBA at this point. I don't think it's going to really affect. It's just I don't think they're in position to posture. There's too much leverage with Amazon and Apple and others where they don't necessarily they like Turner, but they don't need Turner. So I thought that was in I don't I wouldn't have recommended those comments. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. That's a uh, topic one, two, and three uh, on the pod. Uh, ten meaning they really don't need it, and and you know whatever. One meaning they absolutely need it, and and that was a message to the financial community and not the NBA. Where do you put that comment right now? Wait, give me that scale again. You're confusing me with these scales. All right, so 10 is what? <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> What's 10? What? All right, let's see. Let's see if I can remember what my scale was. 10 means give me a different scale. Give me a better scale. All right. One, two, three. Three means they don't care about it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if they get okay. it or not. One means, boy, I really want this. Well, I think they really want it. But I think you're right. They're sending a message. This is a financial call. That said. It's mixed messaging because I don't know, it shows kind of weakness. Like in my opinion, it says, well, we don't have the financial might necessarily to go where we'll need to go for the NBA. And again, look, David Zavzla, he knows, he, he knows what he's saying uh, on those calls, but I just don't know what the purpose of that would be. I guess. Yeah. It's saying we don't, it, it's obviously saying to, to, to the business community, uh, we don't need the NBA and maybe we'll lose it. So I guess that's and for for a sports media podcast. That's why I'll take it. That's that's what that says to me. That's what he directly said. We don't need the NBA. So uh, I don't know your scale, but I will say I'm so confused. It sounds like you're at one. Sounds I'm like one. You, okay. you're a firm one. Uh, People on are that. listening to me like they're like, why can't Marcia understand the scale? I probably just should. Answer, Maybe just I answer one, two, or three. It's not that complicated. <laughs> another right. Zaslav quote. And we'll, we'll get off this, but another one of his quotes was, "Sports is hard," and he's used to do, dealing with sports in international markets. Here in the U.S., where you have ESPN going against Fox with everybody else, it's a very mature market. So the prices are what he's not used to. And now that we're not talking about Zaslav anymore, I'm going to take off the vest. And before and we go, quickly, before we get to who's up and who's down, I want to say, just for the people listening, we have a whole rundown that I kind of put together. You know, we do it together and then I write it all up. John does not look at it at all because on my who's down, I have all these quotes from Zaslav that you just took in the who's up. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to improvise. I'm looking at text I'm getting from people. I'm like, all right, I'll talk about this instead as we're going. So John, not a team player. 
you know, I can't be I can't be bothered with your uh, with your edits. <laughs> John, okay, let's move to my who's up, and it's Bill Cower. Controversial comments from Bill Cower. Look, here's the bottom line: is that Bill Cower spoke out against the hiring of Jeff Saturday uh, by the Colts as their interim uh, coach. Uh, Cower, who was a very young coach, became head coach at 34. He was a assistant for seven years, so he did pay his dues. Uh, he's been criticized. But here's the thing about it, is that when Bill Cower said this. It's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Mm. And regardless of how this thing plays out, what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty. When he said that, that's his job now. And that's good stuff for the NFL today. So if he's right, wrong, indifferent, I don't care. That was a really good moment for the NFL today on CBS on Sunday. It was outspoken. It was passionate. It's everything you want from a coach in that uh, in that, at that time. We're going to get into another topic. We're going to get into Pat McAfee, Chris Russo, all of them roasting Bill Cower, also Joe Thomas of the NFL Network, former Browns. Great. We're going to get into that. We got a super cut later of all their uh, them going back and forth. Uh, but uh but I liked it. I think that's what you want from Bill Cower. So that's a who's up for me for the NFL today and Bill Cower. Yeah, Bill Cower certainly uh, certainly meant what he said. At least uh, that that was the image that, that that he projected. My who's down? I'm going. I'm going to stick with the NFL. It's going to be Hans Schroeder, who is a executive vice president and COO of NFL Media, uh, who reports into Brian Roloff, who I'm sure is is listening to this podcast. Andrew, he is um, now. Yeah, <laughs> one of the greatest regular season games in uh in, in years was the Bills versus the Vikings. It went into overtime, and in four markets, uh, Fox, by contract with the NFL, had to get out of those markets in order to show Dallas Green Bay and the Dallas and Milwaukee market and the Arizona LA game in LA and 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 Phoenix, and it's 2022. We're talking about streaming. We just went through cable TV where we have 500 channels. Why can't there be an option to where you can see the end of an overtime game if that's what you want to see? Why do you have to like cut it and immediately go to another game? So I'm picking Hans because Hans is overseeing the broadcast um, uh, committee. But he, uh, these are these are rules that he inherited. These are rules that are stuck in 1980. And uh, they're they're just rules that, 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 that defies explanation why you would want to uh, take people away from that game. I'm in the DC market. I happen to see the end of a fantastic game, a fantastic finish. So wait, the Oran new rules would have it so you go to your app and you can stream it. Is that the way you would make this work, or would you do a split screen? Fox has a lot of channels. Perhaps they could put it on on. Uh, where they have a duopoly somewhere in the um uh, you know on another broadcast channel they could put it on fox sports one they could put it on fox sports two they could put it on the big 10 network they should be able to put it somewhere right to be to be they could stream it to Tubi before they uh, end up getting sunday ticket <laughs> i love saying Tubi. i could just like say the whole podcast to be to be i love saying to be it's fun I, I mean that's a good but name can you imagine, everything's plus can you imagine everything's though plus. like Tubi is a good name Tubi's a good name. Irrespective of Tubi, if you're in Dallas, you want to see the entire Cowboys game and you should be able to see the entire Cowboys game in full. But if you're watching a game and then you're going to take them away from it, change the rules. It can't be some that hard like, to some change. Of, like, I, I know like Hans and Roll out there all their listening is like, wait, you got to point out some of that stuff you just said doesn't make sense. So you can't do because in some markets, you're not going to have two Fox stations. 
Okay. Uh, and then they don't have agreements with the cable to be on FS1. And so like the NFL is as strict as anybody, right? They only let McAfee use symbols for, you know, the emblems for, you know, a little bit there when they had that little fight. So they're not just going to let you put a game on FS1 if they don't have an agreement with FS1. So the streaming aspect of it, though, I think does make sense. They should be able to, you be, you're able to watch it on your app that if you're, uh, you localize it and, or to me, why not put a little box in the middle where you can see both games? You're kind of cutting it in half when you uh, do the, uh, if you have like a little box in the corner, um, but that does make sense. There should be a way that you should see it. I agree with you. I don't know if we have, I don't know if we've solved the problem completely, but we've given them a roadmap that they probably didn't know about. Kidding. Uh, uh, and, and we will take credit for that when it happens next season. Hey. Andrew, last week I had Adam Silver on stage at the Dealmakers Conference in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was uh, it, it was an interview that that, that made headlines, if, if I can say. It was the first time he publicly spoke about the Kyrie uh, Irving situation, you know, got picked up by the New York Times, AP, ESPN. Uh, I, 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 we spent a lot of time on that, of course, uh, but I, I was uh, more, most interested in how he's approaching the media market. So I peppered him with a lot of questions on the national media market and on the local media market. And so, uh, you know, he, it's, we're still at the really beginning stages and he's still sort of looking at the landscape that's out there uh, for, for national media. One of the questions I asked him was, especially as it comes pertains to Amazon's Thursday night football and how they presented Thursday night football, what it is he's he's really focused on. And this is how he answered that. As you said earlier, you know, it's what, what Amazon is, is obviously doing with the NFL fascinates me. Um, Apple's new um, Major League Soccer deal, no question, you know, talking to my friends there, talking to people at Apple, understanding what they're doing. Um, what I'm earlier saying, there's the distribution itself coming through the services, but just as important to us is the new found ways of producing these games, of customizing them, personalizing them for consumers. Um, a lot of what we've learned, and e even back to your question about um, an, an in-season tournament is by following what happens at leagues outside the United States. So Andrew, a, a lot of words there, but you know what I took out of that answer is that he is open to to uh, new ways of delivering the NBA. He's open to trying to get younger fans viewing, uh, presumably through streaming. And he's looking at, he's very interested in the Thursday Night Football, which is what we talk about virtually every every pod. But he's also maniacally interested in the MLS and Apple. And he's interested in how Apple and Amazon and, and Discovery for that matter are handling streaming and, and what they're doing internationally as well. You know, at the end of that, cut he said something very interesting that we've known but like i think the nba and silver and dating back to david stern have done a really good job when they have a problem they recognize it and they have a regular season problem right the games aren't important enough and i think you might see that show its face with these the new deals because i don't think i could see espn saying you know we don't want as much inventory in the regular season we don't necessarily need wednesday and Friday, maybe we just do Wednesday. Uh, you saw that they did that in baseball because these regular season games just aren't as important. And a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot, but sometimes uh, the star players aren't playing that make them less important. And so he said, he's looking outside the United States. We know this, the in-season tournament, that's going to happen, right? And I do think that's something that they're going to bring to the table. And 
that's going to be a big part of this new TV deal. Um, you know, maybe they'll start it before that, but the bottom line is they recognize that. Uh, and I do think, and I've written about this in New York Post Plus, my newsletter on uh, Mondays, is that, you know, I do think that the idea of being global, like MLS, like the MLS plan, where they're going to sell subscriptions around the world makes sense. The question to me is, does it make sense with the MLS? That's the, uh, or a lot of our listeners know the just MLS. People, a lot of people are into that. If you people say kill you on your language specifically. The MLS, irregardless, <laughs> play-by-player was a new one for you. What do you mean? What's wrong with play-by-player? Uh, there is a play-by-play announcer. The, you didn't read the most recent comment on a, on a, on. Oh, the I didn't app. see that. But yeah. All right, do. we got to look at that. Play-by-player is fine. Still uh, a five-star review, so I was okay with it. All right, it. good job. Good job. We need that person's name. Uh, we got by the end of the podcast, we got to give that person props. Uh, so th- that'd be my first takeaway. All right, let's look at the next uh, next thing that Adam Silver had to say. Well, so we were talking uh, about Amazon and streaming and looking to the future in this this wild uh, uh, future of new companies. But he made it a point to step back and and throw some plaudits out to uh, ESPN and Turner. What they're thinking about specifically in our vertical, um, they're great innovators. And and part of it, we're, we're in the enviable position right now of letting the marketplace work its magic a little bit, you know, and sort of seeing, all right, what's, where are the best ideas going to come from? What's going to drive the most value? And so my read on that, Andrew, is, is that Adam Silver and the NBA think the way to stay younger and attract younger fans, and you can see this through Thursday Night Football and what Amazon's audience looks like, is to stream. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to Amazon or going to Apple. It means going to ESPN Plus uh, and and Hulu, which uh, the the NHL has been doing. It means potentially going to Bleacher Report or HBO Max or Discovery uh, Plus, like whatever the Warner Brothers Discovery's live uh, streaming service is going to be. And so that's going to be a massive part of this deal going forward, it, it appears. Well, yeah, that's the thing. When you talk about Turner, um, Warner Discovery, what is it? WBD? WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery. Warner, Warner, WDB Sports. When you talk about both of them, they both have streaming you know, components. So we, we always speak about Amazon. We, we talk about Apple. And, you know, the differentiator is that they have a lot of money, although Amazon just uh, laid off 10,000 plus people, right? 11,000, what was it? Um, you know, a lot of people, they still are, uh, they still haven't laid off the person who's in charge of anti-Semitic films. They get on that Jeff Bezos while you're laying off people, we lay off the person in charge of anti-Semitic films. We got to get that out of there. Kyrie Irving still out there. Stephen A. Smith, good job talking out and saying Bezos needs to figure out what they're doing with that film. They're still silent on that. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, but anyways, back to what we're talking about. So they're not the only ones with streaming services. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you're ESPN or you're uh, Turner, you could say we have stre- we can stream and 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 they have uh, a you know very good platforms that you could see growth. Like I think HBO Max is a good. There's a lot on there, uh, a lot of original stuff. Uh, they're they've over you know their history. They've been they've had a good eye of creating you know new hits. Uh, and so, and they have some existing franchises. So I do think that they have a nice combination. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a streaming component. That's like, and I would say Amazon's probably the favorite. I thought it was interesting uh, getting back to the Kyrie thing when Adam Silver said about Kyrie, you know, would saying uh, he was surprised that Amazon would host, uh, you know, that type of film 
that denies the Holocaust on its platform. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, they, they, they got to answer that question, Amazon. I mean, I know I'm, I don't want to just totally, uh, you know, go back to that, but they really just kind of ignore, are you just going to ignore it forever? And I, I think that question needs to be asked. If you're going to, if the NBA is going to do business with Amazon, they're going to have to answer that before uh, you can go forward with it. If Kyrie's out and suspended and Amazon's hosting that. So that's, that's a different stuff. But, but in terms of what we're speaking to, Yes, those those are streamers as well. That that they have that streaming service, and we're gonna see what like how does the NHL deal does. It does feel like a mix is where you want though. I really don't feel like I could be wrong, but like the German league in soccer on ESPN Plus used to be on FS1. I feel like it's it doesn't exist. And maybe that's just me. I'm sure there's people who listen who love uh, the Buddhist linga who are watching it still on ESPN Plus. I'd be interested just to know those numbers and how they compare to what they were getting at FS1. I, a little out of sight, out of mind, I think. And that's what we talk about, like with the Pac-12, if they am, end up on Amazon. I just think when you're not the top, top leagues and you go to a streamer, you can kind of have that Pac-12 network effect. In terms of, you know, if the NBA rights were up right now, uh, the NBA would be sitting really, really pretty with all these entities uh, looking at it. A lot can happen in the next three years. And you referenced Amazon. I think it was 11,000 people, 3% of their global uh, corporate workforce uh, that, that, that they're laying off. How, how long can sports continue to be a drag on Amazon? Because we've always viewed it as They're a lost do, sports is No, John, it's going to be there for a long time. Are they, are, they, are they making money on the NFL or losing money on the NFL right now? John, it's an 11-year deal. John, if you watch I'm just, Amazon, read it. Amazon has Trip Mickle. Tell your boy Trip Mickle, New York Times used to be a sports. Tell him to write a book on Amazon so you can understand. Amazon plays the long game. They're, this is this is what they do. They just lost like almost a trillion dollars off their market cap. Or the, the long game is, you know, at some point they got to start making money. It's the same thing with Apple. It's it's a, you know, the, it's who knows what it's going to look like three years from now. I think you're most likely right, but that that's a there's a there's a little bit, if not a red flag, a pink flag over there. Chris Mason, can we clip that? You're most likely right. So we have that for future reference. I think you're most likely right. Chris Mason, keep that on the cutting room floor, please. All right, last cut. There's a long one because we got to get to our next topics. We got Mina Kimes in a, in a few minutes uh, with a real fun interview. Uh, what's his last one we got from Adam Silver? Well, last one, I got to talk about the RSNs because the RSNs are a problem. They're a problem for the NBA. They're a problem for Major League Baseball. Uh, we, uh, and uh, I asked uh, Adam Silver to sort of give me the lay of the land for the RSNs. I won't just say it's just a short-term problem. It's a mid-term problem, but we'll work through it because what the market's also saying at the same time, and you've talked about this in terms of the value of our national and international rights, these, these premium live sports rights are incredibly valuable. And so you really just have a, a, a market issue now where you had these traditional deals locked in as exclusivities um, where, uh, you know, in order to get those rights, you had to subscribe to traditional cable and satellite. You're now seeing morphing of enormous numbers of, of consumers away from those traditional models, but they still want to get these sports rights, but can't get them right now under the existing model. So there's going to be some pain. There's no doubt about it in this reordering, but long term, the, the prospects are still incredibly great because we know fans want to consume this content. So I just want to highlight one aspect of, of, of what he said there, and it's there's going to be some pain. And I think that, that that's a message to every single team that, you know, th their local rights are valuable, 
they're going to find the value in streaming. There, there's just going to there, there's going to be at best an even line. At worst, a rollback in terms of rights fees uh, that that go into the teams, uh, just because streaming isn't quite there yet. And that's you know it, it's going to be a long, messy situation to get from where we are right now with our RSN standard in, in, into the future, where it's going to be some sort of amalgamation of RSNs and streaming and, you know, and, and who knows what. Yeah, I, I think that streaming is going to be a big part of it. And I think I could envision the NBA with their app and what they've reimagined trying to sell directly to consumers along with cable. I mean, Zaslav also said that cable is going to be stronger than people think. I do agree with him uh, in terms of it's not going to be the unbelievable, crazy business that we saw in the past uh, where it was basically fueling ESPN was fueling one third of Disney's profits for revenues for a long time there. That said, it's sort of like when you look at the top newspapers, they're still doing well, right? I mean, we, you know, the top newspapers, overall newspapers aren't doing well, but the top ones are doing well and kind of uh, have a long, you know, there's no, they've got a long future. I kind of think you're going to see that with cable as well, uh, where they'll be doing two things at once and they'll be diversifying. So an ESPN is already diversifying with what they do in the bundle with Disney plus with Hulu, uh, with ESPN plus, and then they'll, they'll offer it direct to consumer as well. You're seeing that transformation happening in real time. And so others will figure that out as well. And where there will be a business that will make sense and I think will work because especially because of live sports and people want this these games. The issue of the local games uh, between the NBA, the NHL, and baseball, uh, it's been super lucrative. Like, can they reach those numbers? I'm not sure about that because cable at 100 million homes uh, is you know, and reaching the, you know, those regional markets like New York, you're reaching a lot of people and a lot who aren't watching those games. Now you're just going to probably get the people who are only watching those games. Uh, and it's going to be less about being part of a service and you're paying for something you're not watching. That's where, and the other problem is you can cancel. It's easier. So there there's, there's, there's some trickiness to it, but uh, you know, you could see where the NBA, where it's going to go. And it's going to be a combination just like we've saw with the other sports and that's where everything's going. And that's where the NBA will go. All right, Andrea, let's go to topic two. You had a column uh, on your newsletter on uh, Monday where you advocated that sports media should start to step away from Twitter. It was a column that I clicked on and read because I saw that you had tweeted it out, Andrew. I, I don't want to accuse you of hypocrisy here. Everybody else should get off Twitter, but I'm going to use it to uh, send people to my story. But well, take me through. You did read it. So I didn't say, I said it should re-examine its relationship with Twitter, not stop using Twitter. And actually, if you read it, you would know that I use it exactly how I said you should use Twitter, which is <laughs> to promote your work, not to promote Twitter. That's All for right? our, that's for our listeners to judge, Andrew. All right, they that's can listen. Listening. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll take them and read the newsletter. I'll explain it here. Here's the thing. Here's the little pop quiz I gave in the, the, the uh, newsletter. If John Orand has exclusive information, should he first go to a place that doesn't pay him and is actually asking for a fee from him or his company uh, to, to post on their uh, website? Or should he go to the place that pays his salary, gives him benefits and health insurance and put it on their platform? So A or B, what are you going with? As usual, it's not an easy answer. Uh, tell me about this exclusive that I have. Do I have it for 
a minute? Do I have, am, am I the first one to, to, to get out with it? Or do I have it for, for a day? You do are so better a... sourced than everybody. You have this, you know, you, you, you're very confident you have it by yourself. It's not something you think that other people are pursuing right away. You feel like you have it alone. Oh, I'm writing a story. I'm getting a link and I'm going to tweet out that link to hopefully drive people back to the, the website. Yeah. Okay. All right. And the question number two, if you're a TV network, let's say ESPN, when you have someone's name on screen, should you A, put think places on your platform, their website, radio station, where you can find more of their work, or B, should you drive them to a place that you have no association with? And actually, a lot of people feel like might be a better place to find news instantly um, that you, again, have no association with, A or B there. I would send them, I, I actually differ with you on this one, Andrew, what? because- I would send them back to Twitter because I think that 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 if if you think about um because this is all about Schefter and Woj really right I think they're the biggest examples no I think it's about everybody well, I'm going to use them because they're the biggest examples yeah they're they're superstars on, and you on have we haven't done this in in several episodes how many Twitter followers do Schefter and Woj have yeah uh, Schefter has ten million Are you gonna look this up Schefter has ten million and Woj has six million. All right, Chris Mason, I, I need to know how close we are to that. Schefter has 9.9 .9 million followers and Woj has 5.7 million followers. I mean, talk about a marketing platform to get your stuff and 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 the ESPN uh, brand in front of 10 million, well, 5 million are bots in front in front of 5 million people is uh it, it's worth it's worth a lot i see the numbers of click throughs and some stories on twitter get pretty good click throughs right but the mo a lot of stories don't even big humongous stories they just get picked up bleacher report loves to take it and say oh add andrew marshan doesn't give a link again not that it's just the right thing to do bleacher report and all your others front office sports all your others to take it put the link because that's the right thing to do it doesn't really help it's just the correct thing to do to to give the credit to where to do fully not just Oh, we gave you credit. No, no, it doesn't help anybody. I don't need to be in my mentions or the million more mentions that you guys get me. That doesn't help. Give a link. Anyway, the how does that help the company you work for? I would say that it would be detrimental if the only person on, on Twitter that's breaking NBA news consistently is Shams. And so the, 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 it, it, it ends up- You made it, it about Woj and shit. You've made that, that. That's what you just said. I didn't say that. At The Athletic and Stadium- who uh, employ Shams and he's also has a, what is he, FanDuel now? He's FanDuel. So those three places employ him. He should be putting it on those platforms first. Yes, it's you, all, it's fundamental. Now I get it. We you are, you are like a, you are a reporter to the court. I mean, this is about marketing the person and it's about marketing the-, yes, the it's good for the person. Yes. But it's also good, and, you know. It's also good for ESPN. This is where this is where. If you want me to go more in depth, I'll go more yeah. in depth. If you want a hundred, uh, two hundred eighty character, how many characters is it? I think that's right. Like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put that out on Twitter. But it it helps ESPN. We're the place to. We're the place for breaking news. No, it's not. Twitter's the place for breaking news. If you want to, if you want to get more, you go through to ESPN. But people don't want more. They're scroll. Here's the thing. So let me just be clear, okay? You should be on Twitter. Like, I don't think like you shouldn't like say no more Twitter. I'm not saying nobody, we should all like, you know, get off Twitter, but you should be using it, not it using you. Uh, here's that the example we agree on. That we totally agree on. Okay. If Bob Iger a few years ago for Disney thought about buying Twitter, if he had bought Twitter, would the New York Post 
Would CBS, with NBC, with uh, Fox, would we all just be throwing our free information on a Disney platform? That's a good question. I, I wonder what Fox would do in, in, in that case, because it, it is a platform to get out and, and to market your wares. Let me ask you a question. Hold on a second. I just got to say something. I just stumped the Schwab. And that's that that was just a stumping of the Schwab, because you know I'm a correct. You said it's an interesting <laughs> question. Instead of saying, nope, 100% right. If Disney owned it, we all wouldn't put it for free. That's Forget a great it, question. This isn't really about Elon Musk. It's not about Elon Musk. It's about the idea of we put this stuff out for free. We should use Twitter to promote our work and the place that pays you your money. Okay, that's what, where- What better way to promote your work than to say, I am the guy that breaks the news. Let me ask and you a quick question. Look, in this story, I just want to say, in some circumstances, if I know you have a story, I feel very strongly, like Tony Romo, I put the number out, like when, you know, at that point, I thought it was 17 plus million I, I wrote. And I knew kind of you were on it as well. So I did tweet that first. And in that case, there are cases where it makes sense. Not as a default, though, that's where all my information goes to first. Yes, and if you're we agree on we stories, agree on that. You're only point. breaking stories that are seconds ahead of anybody. Those are the only stories you break. Then those aren't really that great a break of stories to break. You want to you want to tell Dave Waldstein from the New York Times, who really cut his teeth and is a postie at heart, New York Post guy at heart. Um, he um, he always says a breaking story is when you tell people something that the people you're talking about or that the place you're talking about doesn't want others to know. Not things they want, they're going to announce or there's a press release. And that is the essence of breaking news. And yes, there is something to saying hirings and things that are going to be announced later, earlier. There is something to that. Don't get me wrong. But it's really telling information they don't want out there, not the information that's going to be out there. Well, you and I, I think, are actually uh, much more similar than this discussion uh, would suggest. Um, if, if If there's a story that I think you have that you're going to be that you're going to break before I can get the, my 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 thing published. Yeah, I'm going to tweet that out. That's if different. A, if it's a story, if it's a story that's going to hold even for like an hour, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get a, a link out there. And like you said, Twitter doesn't bring a ton of traffic over, but it does. It, it does bring enough, and it, and it helps out. I think both certainly helps out the reporter much more than in the past, but it helps out the publication as well. Well, I will tell you when I had the Tom Brady $375 million contract, you know, number, uh, you know, I had that for an hour before. I mean, I was sweating that because it's like, you know, I had this huge number. This is a big story, Brady to Fox. And I had that number for an hour, you know, bottom line is I didn't tweet that out. We waited and put it on our website. And so we took that chance. Somebody, you could have came in and that would have really stunk, but who should get the rewards for it? The New York Post or Twitter? When I have the Suns ratings on FS Arizona, yeah, I'm going to hold that. I'm not tweeting those out right away, Andrew. <laughs> all right, let, let's move. Last topic. Um, and as we, we will tweet out all these clips promoting the podcast on Twitter. But with a clip, yeah. yeah. All right, so there you go. A lot of clips here. Big topic, Jeff Saturday and the media. Um, let's do a super cut before, and then we'll talk about it, uh, our, our take on it. First, Bill Cower uh, comments a little bit. Here's the beginning. I would give you at the beginning of the podcast, we gave you uh, his big comment. Um, but he, here's a little more from Bill Cower. I'm speaking on behalf of the coaching profession. I know for a fact that Jeff Sarity was offered an opportunity to become a hit, an assistant coach with the Indianapolis Colts multiple times in the last four years. He declined, citing that he had a TV job and wanted to spend more time with his family. Okay, that was Bill Cower on the NFL today. 
Here's Joe Thomas of the NFL Network on Good Morning Football on the Saturday hiring. It is one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen in my entire life to the commitment, the lifestyle, and the experience that it takes to be an NFL coach, any coach, much less the head coach of the Indianapolis football Colts. You have got to be kidding me that this is something that Jim Ursay and Jeff Saturday, who's not blameless for accepting the job, could have talked and decided that this was the best thing for the Indianapolis Colts at this juncture of the season. These two takes, they got a huge reaction. Uh, Pat McAfee, after Jeff Saturday gets a W, this is part of it. At most of it, he's swearing, so we, this is part of it where he's not swearing. Uh, here's McAfee uh, on Joe Thomas. I don't think Joe Thomas is a bad guy. I think he's a puppet. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he felt obligated to say something because somebody told him how disrespected they felt as opposed to looking at it from a realistic point of view. This is an interim head coaching role. The Indianapolis Colts have underwhelmed everybody on earth, including their fan base. McAfee also went in on uh, Cower. Uh, and then lastly, Chris Russo, our guy, Mad Dog. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Not our ad. He he goes all in on Bill Cower. But somehow, some way, the great Bill Cower, the great Bill Cower, who got his job without working in Milwaukee, the great Bill Cower is annoyed that Jeff Saturday got a head coaching job. It's an insult to you, the profession. Pipe down, all right? Pipe down. You know it's an insult to the profession that you're walking in a CBS set and you never worked a day in your life anywhere else in broadcasting. Never a day. All right, John, bottom line, your take on all of this? Wow, it really struck a nerve, that hiring in, in sports media. And the one thing that, that you said for your who's up and Bill Cower, I believe all these takes are, are, are their true takes. I don't think that somebody sat there and decided that they wanted to invent something. So I, I, I just think that it's, it is really fun to follow. Yeah, McAfee got pretty personal with Joe Thomas. He called him a puppet. Uh, you kind of call Cower a puppet as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are their true takes. Uh, I thought Cower, like, go listen to the whole Cower take. Like, it was well done. People have gone, I'm like, well, he was a coach at 34. Yeah, well, he was a player. Then he did seven years as an assistant, and then he got the coaching job. Uh, look, you can like Jeff Saturday and, and understand the process is somewhat flawed. I mean, I, I don't think that's a unfair take especially when the NFL has had a really hard time um, figuring out how to promote um, minority coaches uh, and, and be head coaches, especially when you look at the league, which I believe is 60% uh, African-American players. And, uh, and so when you see Jeff Saturday just skipping the line, didn't want to be uh, an assistant coach, uh, I can see how that gets the blood going. And here's the one thing I'm going to say. The fact that he won the game is like they I act like they he won the Super Bowl, like the success. I watched the end of the game. There's a linebacker on the Colts who made a tremendous play. That was the difference between winning and losing. If the guy doesn't make that play, is it a bad hire? I mean, I don't know why it's like a referendum because he beat the Raiders. I I, I don't really get that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh Jeff Saturday might end up being a great coach. I mean, there, there's no he, he that's true. That you cannot like the process. That, that's a fair take to me uh, in terms of experience and someone deserving a shot. I mean, he is a great player. I'm not sure if Jeff Sarri is going to be a Hall of Famer, but maybe. But he's, he's a Super Bowl winner. He's a tremendous player. And from what everyone says, he's got a great personality. Is this a flash in the pan? Or are these going to be 
are we going to be listening to Saturday takes until the end of regular season? Yeah, no, there's this is going to this is not ending because this he's is either not ending. well or not. If he does well, then everyone's going to they're going to they're never going to let, you know, Cowher or Joe Thomas hear the end of it. Uh, the people who are said it's it's fine. You know, obviously, Pat McAfee knows Jeff Saturday. They're, they're teammates. He likes them a lot. And he should. That's fine. And and these this stuff is complicated, the hiring stuff. Right. It's not. You know, Jim Irsay has a good feel for Jeff Saturday. He might really feel like he's got the next great coach. And even though he, and he doesn't care that he didn't coach, and that can be okay. Like, and it might be end up being right, but there is a process issue that you could also find. And it's complicated. And the other thing about things, and I think this is kind of in our society, we say there's not necessarily like a right answer. We all want to have opinions on everything. And every time this is right, this is, and there's not necessarily, there's a lot of gray in certain things. And so it's, it's, so having hot takes is great, but there's there's more to it. John, the big get this week is Mina Kimes. Mina was named ESPN's first female football analyst in 2020. She's on NFL Live. I like that show a lot. Weekdays, 4 to 5 p.m. She's a podcast, The Mina Kimes Show, featuring Lenny, which is her dog. Uh, Around the Horn, she's on. PTI, she co-hosts sometimes. Uh, Derek Volner, PR extraordinaire in the NFL. Give me a list of about 50 other things. But we're going to stop there. <laughs> we, people have other things to do besides listen to this podcast. But Mina, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And just in case we didn't get the email, Derek was uh, testing us as well. All this great background on, on you, Mina. Oh, gosh. You, I appreciate that. You took uh, just the most unique route to be an on-screen TV analyst. Take us through how that happened. Gosh, I think probably the most unique thing about it is not that I was a writer because there are writers who go on to opinionate on ESPN, um, well, famously like Stephen A. Smith, right? But more so that I wrote about business for the first part of my career. Um, so for those who don't know, I, I was a, a reporter for Fortune Small Business out of college and then Fortune Magazine for several years where I was part of the investigations team. Did a lot of stories on Wall Street and healthcare in particular. Then I left Fortune to move to Bloomberg to join the investigations team there, essentially. Uh, and that was my last job before ESPN approached me in, I believe, 2014. So the first part of my career had nothing to do with sports. Um, I was writing features about businesses and mostly businesses doing bad things. So when ESPN approached you, did was that a, a goal of yours? Did you want to get into sports media, or was that sort of from out of nowhere? You know, it definitely was not a goal of mine, but I guess it would be inaccurate to say it was out of nowhere because I was pretty active at the time on social media, talking to people about sports. I would also I, I've um, talked with Andrew about this. You know, my first I think I guess connection to sports media was working with my friend Bill Barnwell. Um, who had podcasted Bill Barnwell show. We became friends through social media. So I kind of knew a lot of football Twitter, I guess. Um, but it was a hobby to me, totally a hobby, a passion. Um, even when I, I wrote a personal essay that caught the attention of folks at ESPN, but it wasn't my goal to get that to anyone at ESPN. I actually just published it for myself. And then a friend of mine at Slate republished it. Um, it was just a hobby that took way too much of my time. So I, I was really surprised, honestly, when they reached out to me because nobody in sports had ever reached out to me before about a job. Now, John, for this interview, I kind of had like the, I kind of cheated because I did a whole huge feature on Mina last year. So I kind of know all the answers here. Uh, and one thing when I did that feature, we spoke, I think the first time for like an hour, I asked you where you went to college. 
and she said she went to college in Connecticut. Um, it's a school. I don't think that's how. That I don't think that's true. how it went. Wait, that oh, is are, are, true. You, are you a UConn graduate, Mina? No, I feel like you might be asking me why I had a two hundred three number. You got to roll back the tape on that because I. I, I have the tape. I have the tape. Maybe I can get it before this interview. I you said it like that. It was very modest way to say. Maybe look, you would know better how you say it. So perhaps I'm wrong. I will. I will. Take I usually that. try not to do that. That's a Harvard move to say I went to school in Cape. That's like a a douchey I think Harvard. You said that move. because you know what I mean. Because the thing is, I went to Ithaca College, like a lot of ESPNers, and once, and I've told the story about a million times. Someone asked me where'd you go to school. I said Ithaca, and the person said Cornell. And I was like, if I was smart enough to go to Cornell, I would say I went to Cornell. <laughs> I wouldn't say I went to Ithaca. You say you go to Cornell. Anyway, let's get back to you. So at <laughs> Yale, uh, after your freshman year, you had a job in Baltimore uh, or in, d- during the summer, I believe. Tell me mm, if I'm wrong. That's right. And yeah. you were a teacher. What type of teacher yeah. were you? A bad one, Andrew. A bad one. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a bunch of different internships before I got into business journalism, which was like my final internship in college that ultimately led to my first job. Um, I tried book publishing. I tried teaching. Uh, we were, I was part of a program, a summer program, teaching uh, kids about fourth and fifth graders in inner city Baltimore, essentially. And um, I was very, very ill-equipped to do it. And the the disciplining side of it really did not come naturally to me, which probably shouldn't have been surprised because I was never a good babysitter. So I've never been particularly good at discipline. Um, I really liked the teaching and, and you know, reading and that kind of things. But um, yeah, it became pretty clear to me that teaching was too difficult for me pretty quickly. And then when you get to ESPN um, and you try to navigate, you know, where and how to do things, like what was your kind of goal when you're there? Because you start as a writer. Uh, like, was there a goal? Like a lot of people go in there and they're like, I want to be on SportsCenter. I want to be on Around the Horn. I want to be on this, that, and the other thing. What was Mina Kimes' game plan? To write big stories. It wasn't to be on TV or do radio or audio or whatever at first. Um, you know, it was to do stories like Wright Thompson. And and so I, I joined ESPN the magazine, which doesn't exist anymore. But before I joined, I was a reader. And I, I thought part of the reason I took the job in the first place wasn't just because I love sports, but because I thought it was a terrific magazine that put out just amazing stories. And I was a futures writer. And, you, you know, I talked about this. I thought I was going to be a magazine writer for the rest of my life. So joining ESPN. Um, yeah, I just wanted to profile the biggest athletes. I wanted to do investigations. I wanted to travel. And for the first few years, I did get to do a lot of those things. You want to know a little thing too here, John, again, I have all the answers to this. So it's like, but she <laughs> met with David Remnick, who's the you know well-known editor of the New Yorker. Uh, if that happens now, I think you told me it didn't really get that far down the road, but you might never be in sports if that happens. Correct. Yeah, and, and, and people say, well, what would you do now if you release sports? And I would probably go back to being a magazine writer, honestly. Um, there, there are things about it I don't miss, especially as it pertains to like doing stories on athletes in particular. And, and that's not about the athletes, it's more about, as you guys know, the access side of it is so complicated these days. Um, but there's a lot I miss about it. So you're a features writer uh, doing investigations who knows more about the NFL than uh, most most people on on ESPN? Uh, how did how did you make that transition going? I don't know about knowing more than most people, but um, we can say that you can't say I, that, I, Mina. But we can, we can say I, that. Well, we all have like different pockets, which is I think what the the best part of working at ESPN is. Everyone kind of has their lane and their whether it's a position or an approach to talking about football. But I guess I digress. I. I um, first started talking about football on the Bill Barnwell show, which I mentioned. And then I did a fantasy football radio show. That was my first radio show at ESPN. 
Uh, so those were kind of my first few opportunities to not just talk about stories I had written, which was prior to that, my television and radio experience, but to actually give my opinions. And I'm glad that I didn't jump right into doing TV and giving my opinions because giving opinions is a craft as much as writing. And I really had to learn how to do it. Um, and I'm still learning how to do it, to be honest. So I think uh, the the most unique thing about giving opinions is hearing from the people that you give opinions about. Did you ever, I'm, I'm pretty certain <laughs> that you heard back from people that were not happy with some of your opinions, Mina. Yeah, I've heard from a few. Um, you know, we go to the combine, which is always a good chance to come get face to face with some of the athletes, coaches, GM, well, not athletes, but more so the coaches and GMs and in front of people that you talk about when you criticize choices. But, um, you know, I, I find that most people in the NFL who watch our show um, and who I get to talk to, whether it's even if it's someone I've been critical of, just appreciate that we take the sport seriously. You know, even if they don't agree with my takes on game planning or whatever, or roster construction, um, they're willing to engage because they can see that we are willing to engage too. Is that something that you had to learn how to do as well? Be critical or? <laughs> uh, no, de deal with the criticisms of oh. your criticisms. I would say as an investigative reporter, I used to have it way worse, guys. Are you kidding me? I <laughs> nope, used to have nope. lawyers yelling at me. You think a, a, a GM who's upset that I've been hard on him compares to a lawyer of a Fortune 500 company who's like, yeah, no, this is nothing from a confrontation perspective. Uh, I don't consider you to, to to be a lightning rod at all. I, I think you're, you're, you seem to be one of the more liked uh, people at, at ESPN. Of course, earlier this year, Jeff Garcia, you know, makes a a, a comment. Of, you know, I think we can say it was a sexist comment about uh, about you and, and and your knowledge. Take us through that sort of firestorm because that that lit up certainly my social feeds. Yeah, you know what? Okay, I, I would say I I don't think I'm particularly provocative when it comes to my opinionating. Even if I am critical, it's not the kind of stuff that goes crazy because it's you know so extreme. That maybe I'm wrong. You guys can correct me. But I do think sometimes because it's me giving the opinion, it might invite more of a reaction, good and bad, I want to say. It's not all bad. I think having someone who looks different with a different background being an opinionated or naturally kind of makes you stick out a little bit. Um, so I, I, at that point, you know, I've been on TV for a few years now and I've been giving opinions for a few years. I'm pretty used to um, blowback, again, positive and negative, the extreme reactions I would say with that particular incident, I was really just confused because I thought I was giving a really milk toast uh, take on a quarterback who everybody was being critical of. And that's kind of my initial response was like, why, why are you singling out me? Like literally everyone on earth is saying this. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't like saying my name trending. It's not a fun thing. It's just weird and off-putting and uh, if anything, I actually, it, it can be a little bit distracting when you just want to do your job being worried about that kind of thing. Yeah. That was like on Jimmy G, correct? Yeah. Amazing. I didn't even say his name. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he was just, he wasn't playing. He was hurt. He wasn't playing well. The team was winning despite him, you know, he's playing better yeah, now. That's fair. All right. Well, I, I spoke about the feature uh, that I wrote and I quoted somebody in there uh, named Jeff Saturday. Anything? <laughs> <laughs> you forgot, you did. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Going on with him, you 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 follow the NFL very closely. So yeah. So Jeff Saturday, now interim coach of the Colts. This is what he said about Mina Kimes. I think she could work <laughs> for a team. I think oh. 
He sees the games from an analytics perspective as well as anybody. We are coming to a place in our game where you can use analytics for decision-making in games. So You got to bring back that quote, Andrew, because that quote could actually you I know, know, get exactly. aggravated the analytics now. Thing. Not yeah, to think about me, thing. but yeah, listening to analytics. Yeah. yeah. Jim Mercy said that they don't have to listen to analytics with Jeff Saturday, but that's really not where I'm going. Um, so <laughs> Jeff Saturday now in a, in a place of influence yeah. said that he thought you could be part of a front office, uh, or, you know, or, or, you know, some part of a organization. How do you, what, what would be the circumstances where you could see that maybe working? Is there, or is there a scenario? It's not a dream of mine and I don't think it's a likely reality, but if it were to happen, I would want to enter at a pretty low level or like an, or in some kind of kind of like Jeff, like a consulting capacity you know, where, um, because I, I mean, gosh, if you think people thought he leapfrogged people to get there, <laughs> can you imagine? Oh my gosh, I would be, I, I'm deeply unqualified for most, the vast majority of positions in that capacity. Um, I do, can I say something about Jeff though? I, I, I know cause, cause it's been such a hot topic, I guess this week and his qualifications and the process. And I've been critical of the process as you know, I am with a lot of NFL coaching hires, not because of who he is, but because of um, just the, the way in which it tends to happen. Um, there, there's something I do love about that, which is, you know, people talk about Jeff and his leadership and there, it's, it's manifest in like the fact that um, he's such an emotionally intelligent person, but he's also so open-minded. I don't feel like anyone's been talking about that, but I, you really see that on display in that quote, right? Like for him to say that, I mean, he's such a good listener. He would always ask me so many questions and um, yeah, there's a reason why everybody loves him so much. And for me, that's one of them. Yeah. And, but, but here, here's what and you did a good job of making it about Jeff Saturday, but let's get back to uh, <laughs> and when I do the stories too, especially these long features. And, and you spend, Jeff Saturday uh, is not our big get, Mina. Right. Exactly. He, he would be a much bigger get. <laughs> he would, that'd be a good, he'd be a good big get. But no, we, we're happy with you. When I do these stories, the thing that stuck out, sticks out about you though, is like, you're kind of, you you sort of take, it feels like you've gone where your passion goes. And I guess my question is when we talk about, because obviously I think the roadblock, you know, and you don't have to say as I'll say this, it's like you make too much money now. Like you're not going to go do an entry level position <laughs> in the NFL, right? I mean, maybe like that would be really something because those do not pay a lot of money, entry level positions yeah, in the NFL in the front fair. office. <laughs> analytics, And now um, I don't know exactly what you make, but I have an idea and you're making much more than that um, in a week. And so the uh, so the question I have, though, is it something, though, that when you think about your passions and if you could go in, because I actually think you're kind of selling yourself short. Like, again, I don't think you're not going to be a GM, but there are analytics positions that uh, are important and that or football make decision making that, that I think you potentially could be qualified, even though there's a lot to, to do. Um, so is that something you could see, though, being somewhat like if someone was interested, a Jeff Saturday, who's the interim head coach of the Colts, who thinks you could do this, uh, would it be something you'd entertain? I don't, you know, I just really like my job now because the the, the crossover between actually working in football, talking football, is the studying and the you know consumption. But what's missing from that side of it, and what I get to do, is the communication of it, and that's frankly been the thread through all of my various weird jobs along the way is yeah it's been different subject matter it's been different people it's been new challenges but ultimately it's always been the same core function which is learning and then communicating in a hopefully entertaining fashion and i would really miss that i would really miss talking to people and 
Um, you know, there's no better feeling than finding something, identifying something, and then getting to share it and seeing it resonate. And, and, and that's not just with an audience that's with the people I work with. I mean, we're, we're just joking. We, on NFL live, um, sometimes we plan like little discussions ahead and I often don't share everything I've like figured out because I love seeing my colleagues like genuine and authentic reactions to things on air. Um, and I would miss that side of it, sort of the, the, the actual output of it all. John, I've got exclusive video of Mina in these meetings. She's like Bill Belichick. She's got like a hoodie on. They go to her. What are you going to talk about? And she's like, oh, yeah, Mac Jones is really good. He'll find out. And then she comes out with like 15 analytic points and like some some studying that she did with some video. I mean, you're like- Orlowski is the same way though. He's always oh, really? like, I'm not going to tell you now. Wait until TV on Tuesday. And I'm like, all right, yeah. We're on to the 415 window, Andrew. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. So how did you learn how to talk on, on television? It's a, a totally different uh, sensibility. Like, yeah. who, who sort of helped you through that? Um, you know, I would attribute a lot of it for, for me personally to being on the show Around the Horn, which is something I'm sure you guys have heard from other people at ESPN or whatever, because uh, it, is a, it is that stepping stone for a lot of reporters who become opinionators. And it's so structured. Uh, it's almost like when I first started writing in magazines I didn't write features I wrote for the front of the book at fortune and you know I would write 300 words these little 300 word things but I would just just spend so much time making sure that the best 300 words possible and I learned so much about how, I, how like what to cut and what to use that ultimately when it came to writing features I felt like okay I already know I I, I figured out how to communicate clearly quickly concisely whatever and around the horns kind of the same way like you really only get what 40 seconds to a minute to give your opinion you have to be listening to what other people say. You have to come up with an original thought and angle and then think about how you want to say that. And I think that doing that for a couple of years um, before I kind of really fully switched over from writing was really, really helpful as a training ground for giving takes. Who are the uh, young Mina Kimes, the next Mina Kimes? Who, who are some young up and comers that might not be on our radar screen that we should be looking out for? I think there are so many good young NFL opinionators these days, and I'm sorry I'm not just doing this to promote my own podcast, but I love having them on my podcast and like just to kind of get new ideas, see them flourish as well. A lot of like young guys and girls, shoot, a lot of them work at the Ringer now. Um, and Ben Solak and Stephen Ruiz are amazing uh, NFL writers. Nora Princiati, who works there and works on their NFL show, is really great as well. Um, or young guys like uh, Charles McDonald is another NFL writer who I have on who I think is fantastic. Um, I would also say, let's see, there's as far I mean, as far as a young woman goes, also I'm a really big fan of Carmen Vitali at Fox. I think she's got a really bright future, and she's really spent a lot of time on her opinions, and I find them really well thought out. So that, that it's Honestly, I think there's never been a better moment for like young NFL writers and thinkers. And I hope um, like we see more of them in bigger roles, especially in the coming years. Now, let's talk about NFL Live a little bit. First off, how bad are, is Orlovsky's food? <laughs> like on a scale from one to 10, how bad are they? It's not that they're bad. It's just that they're really uninformed. Because when you're around Dan and you eat out a lot with him, and like we go out to group dinners, you realize that he just hasn't had a lot of foods. It's Why like, I, I, 
it's crazy. I well, So we went to Las Vegas for the Pro Bowl or the draft or forget what it was. And we went out to dinner at um, Major Domo. And which is, you know, uh, it's Asian, it's a lot of different types of Asian cuisine. And he had just never had so many of the things. And watching him taste them for the first time was so whole, like pure. And it was like watching a baby <laughs> learn how to walk. And and in that moment, I was like, oh, we can't criticize him because he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Yeah. But I think, do you think it hurts his credibility? Like, it's, <laughs> people don't know on Twitter, like and some people aren't on Twitter, they, you know, good for them. And uh, they don't know that Dan Orlovsky, like he just has these like random, like, like, I don't remember them, but they're just like the worst food takes ever. Like there's yeah. like, like hamburgers and French fries aren't good. Like he might not have said that. Yeah. Like, stuff no. like that. Like, or don't put ketchup on a hamburger. Like you Reese's put- cups are bad was his recent. Oh yeah. Reese's peanut yeah. butter cups are bad. It's just ridiculous. I think it hurts his credibility. I, I think the thing that Dan's greatest quality is that he has a great sense of humor about himself. And I think he knows what is coming he when he shares opinions like that. Not that he's trolling, but I think he likes, he, he's someone who is not deterred by being made fun of. That's for sure. All right. Does he leave for an NFL job? What's your take? He's certainly qualified to, in my mind. I don't know if he will. I think he really loves being on TV, but he's, he would crush it. All right. Should we ask about if Marcus Spears' contract's up? Is he going to leave? Oh, no, gosh, we... I hope not. You're <laughs> <laughs> breaking news I'll to me. Coaching ones. I'll, 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 stay, I'll keep that's, to that That's one. my big brother, man. Yeah, no, I don't, he'll probably stay, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, we, we, we've hit Twitter a lot. What, what's your Twitter plan? Are you, are, are, are you, are you going to get off the site? Are you worried about I like, it? I'll, I, I kind of don't think it's going anywhere. I'll start by saying that. Um so, you know, I know there's a lot of kind of gloom and doom right now. Um, appropriate criticism, I think, things are happening mostly from a business angle rather than a, well, from a user interface angle too. Uh, but for me, like, you know, I, I I have a complicated relationship with it. Like, I guess, I think everyone in our industry has a complicated relationship with it because we all know we have to be on it. And, and for me personally, um, I would attribute a lot of my career to not just putting out my own content there, but the people I've met, I mean, shoot, I met Bill Barnwell through Twitter. We, t- we talked about how that was kind of my entree to covering the NFL, but I also recognize the um, ways in which it can be hard on all of our mental health, the addictive nature of it. This is obviously not just Twitter. This is all social media. And I think like many people, I could do a better job of just managing that stuff for myself personally. So uh, it, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm just trying to get better at using it not like from being more entertaining on it, but better at using at it, using it for my own brain. John, this, this is the last one for me. Do you think uh, if the Mannings had had you as the host, it would have been successful, the Manning cast? No. no. <laughs> I, 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 oh my gosh, they do not need a host. That was very apparent to me when we were. Um, hey, what was that like? Them. What was that like? Were you? I was thinking the whole time, you really don't need me to be here. They're great. And I, I, the, my other takeaway was, I just think Eli is hilarious. I think he's so funny. And I thought he was, he's so unintentionally funny too. He is intentionally funny, I think, but he also is just such a naturally funny, like he has really great comedic timing. Um, so that was fun to see like up close and in person. Yeah. Mina what, what was it like when, when, when you were a host there? I mean, were they talking over you? Were they like, cause it's so such an unstructured show, right? Yeah. I think we were all just trying to figure out what to do which is by the way i think true of any mega cast you guys have seen a bunch of them whether it's any sport football baseball whatever 
everybody's kind of just trying to figure out the right balance of voices because it's very different from a studio show. It's not quite a, a studio show. It's not quite a traditional game. And I think um, landing on that appropriate balance, it's obviously very the job of production, but I think it's something that nobody, that everyone's just kind of trying to figure out now. You were never in the, the ESPN once had one called the cool room, which I thought was like the worst thing. You weren't in that one, were you? No, no they <laughs> had one. Cool. It was literally called the cool room. <laughs> I, I saw that. I was like, if you went cool. to Yale, you're not cool enough for the cool room. Come on, Andrew. It was called the cool room. It was for like the end. It was for the, uh, <laughs> I should have told them it was a school in Connecticut. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. I got to look. I'm going to get that tape, Mina. <laughs> okay. no, I'm going to get that tape. I'm pretty I, sure. Uh, Run back. Day, I went to school in Connecticut. Well, I'm team. I'm team Mina on this. I'm pretty certain she knows how to, how she answered it, Andrew. Well, I bet. Okay, I'm gonna guess. I bet you asked everywhere I lived, because if you asked me where I went to college, I would have just said that we went to college. But if I was, I also asked separate you. Questions. I asked you what you got in the SATs, and you're a little hesitant to say. I only got a sixteen hundred. <laughs> that really would have made the story better, and you got fifteen sixty. And it did get into the story. Yeah. Yeah, but I wanted sixteen hundred. That's a better. It wow. Better. You sound like my mom. <laughs> yeah, right. I talked to your mom. She was very nice. I mean, she is. She's a. She's a. She must be getting psyched up for the World Cup. Oh, God. yeah. Andrew, oh, we have to end with a Sunday ticket, right? <laughs> Go for it. John always asks this. He goes, Mina. Mina, who's going to end up with Sunday ticket next season? Oh, gosh. Apple, I... Amazon, Tubi, Tubi, ESPN Plus, Tubi, Tubi. <laughs> my money's on Tubi because I don't know what Tubi is, but it sounds like. Sounds futuristic. I mean, this is we'll leave it. This is kind of running. You know, John's like a business guy, so he just like kind of asks everybody about Sunday ticket because it is kind of a mystery in the business. Somebody's gonna be right. Somebody will be right. Amy Andrews on last week. She she also said she. I mean, I I go John. He we 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 go over the questions at the beginning, and I see John put that one down. I was like, is that a real question? And then he asked it. So now it's like now it's a tradition. You did pretty well with it. And then by the way, Andrew left it off of today's rundown. Oh yeah, my gosh. It. Yeah. Selfishly, I just want it to run quickly on my computer. That's oh yeah, yeah. Your Sunday ticket. Yeah, Aaron Andrews is actually at the game, so she can't watch Sunday ticket. You actually do oh, watch man. Sunday ticket. Making my own quad box every morning. You know? Oh, there you go. Don't take away the quad, don't take away that function. Whoever buys it, being able to sort the games and put I need that. So yeah, I think that's all I that. care about. I think they'll have that. I don't think we'll get individual <laughs> teams that you won't just be able to buy like the Steelers. I don't think that's happening, right, John? Yeah. Or the Seahawks, as it as it would be. Or the Seahawks. That, that needs them all. <laughs> all right. Well, look, Mina Kimes, we really appreciate it. She's on everything on ESPN, specifically NFL Live. She's got a podcast with uh, her dog Lenny, which uh, John has said that he, that's a better you know, podcast partner than than having me, which I thought was <laughs> insulting to me. But but Lenny is very uh, popular. I didn't uh, mean so- it, Andrew. I didn't mean it. Okay, I didn't mean it. Anyways, thank you, Mina. Bye, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Andrew, that was I thought that was a really fun uh, interview. Uh, my one takeaway is something that I hear consistently, and it's about around the horn and how around the horn is is just a, a breeding ground that that trains uh, opinionators uh, to 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 move on. The, the the number of people that have started on around the horn and ended up with with a uh, you know, big on-screen careers like like uh, Mina Kimes is uh, it's it's a long list. They kind of though this the only thing about Around the Horn lately they kind of I like their sports writer roots. They kind of moved away from the sports writers, um, and I think a lot of times what sports writers have is that they really have great knowledge because they're there on the ground for a long time. So, anyways, but with Mina, uh, I thought the front office stuff 
was interesting. Uh, I honestly could see her doing it. The problem is the pay cut. Like I like literally, I mean, I, you know, if you're an entry, she couldn't do an entry level, but like if, you know, in the big job is just like, it's a lot less money, which you want to move from LA to Indianapolis or someplace like that. I don't see that, but she's a unique person. I mean, I was really impressed uh, just getting to know her for the feature. I wrote about her um, just uh, a, a good, per you know, like everyone you talk to says, you know, she treats people the right way in a business where there's a lot of egos and stuff. She uh, it seems like the real deal. So uh, props for Mina Kimes uh, becoming the first and a female NFL analyst back a couple years ago. And the thing is, she excels. She's really good. Like I hit the bottom line at the, at the end of the day, female, male, whatever. She says stuff and it has she's very smart and has, you know, very good knowledge behind it. Hey, can we play that the game one more time? How many Twitter followers does Mina Kimes have? <laughs> Mina Kimes, I'm going to put her around a million. Yeah, I, I, when I looked, I think it was 860 is, is what I saw. All right. Well, we know. Oh. Now we got to look it up. The people need to know. I'm going to do this real quick as we're doing it. All right. I'm, I'm calling up Mina Kimes. I said a million, 813,000.7. That's, that's within that's within the, uh, the class zone. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I said a million. I, I, that did not look, you know, earlier we talked about Schefter and Woj. I just wrote about Schefter and Woj. I just had written about them. So I had to look those up. So that was a little bit of, um, I would have gotten it, I think anyway, but I had looked it up, but that one I had not looked at. And so I'll, I'm going to take credit. I'm, and back. If Twitter I'm, back. Goes, I'm back. If Twitter goes away, man. Oh, you're going to lose like this great party trick. It's not going anywhere. Right? It, it, it might change. It's going to, it's going to stay And all these but it's going to be fine, I think. All right, let's uh, let's head into our call of the week. Call of the week. Andrew, you you picked out this clip uh, for uh, Fred Hickman, who uh, died last week. Um, uh, he was a uh, host of the sports studio show on uh, CNN uh, back in the day, and uh, I just thought like. But it, this was before I started reporting on sports business. I I would watch him. I would uh, tune in and, and and watch him. I, I he he was a big person in my sort of viewing life, uh, and uh, it, it, it was sad to see uh, see of his passing. The Pittsburgh Steelers have found their man. Bill Cowher is leaving his job as defensive coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs to become the Steelers' head coach, thus replacing the legendary Chuck Noll. Cower will be announced officially tomorrow, but they put it off today because of the holiday observance. Not familiar with this guy? Well, if you're employed anywhere in the uh, NFL, you would have been familiar with him. He's a former player with the Browns and with the Philadelphia Eagles, a linebacker. A knee ended his playing days, but Marty Schottenheimer signed him on right away. At age 34, Cower becomes the second youngest head coach in the entire NFL, just a shade older than Dave Shulett. Yeah, the thing to me about Fred Hickman and Nick Charles on CNN Sports Tonight you know, the sports center is kind of the Yankees, the perennial uh, world champions. Uh, CNN Sports Tonight, even though it's CNN, as big as a new news agency in sports, they were dwarfed. Uh, they were kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays in comparison. They won some division titles. There was a time where they're going neck and neck and even won some ratings battles. And they just had a show. It wasn't as 
You know, they weren't trying to reinvent how you say home run, uh, which sometimes worked for sports center anchors and sometimes didn't. Sometimes I just want to hear them say home run. They just said home run, basically. Uh, and so uh, it's a heavy heart to hear, you know, Fred Hickman, only 66 years old. Nick Charles passed away a decade ago. They left a mark in sports uh, casting history. So, uh, you know, our condolences to to their families uh, and friends uh, and everyone who knew uh, Fred Hickman and and for that matter, Nick Charles as well. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of, a, of another episode. Always fun to do it. Thanks, as always, to uh, A.C. Wyatt. By the way, Andrew, A.C. Wyatt came into my house last week. He was in t- town for that uh, uh, that conference that, that I was at, and he rearranged my set entirely. So uh, you might see some clips going around on, uh, on Twitter or uh, you're watching it on YouTube. I have my starter jacket from 1983 uh, Orioles. Last time they won the... Uh, the World Series, a couple of footballs, uh, Brooks Robinson making a, a, a diving catch in a frame. So uh, thank you, AC, for, for doing that. There you go. So, and uh, if you can, rate us uh, and a review and comment uh, about, especially about my word selection. <laughs> Wait, before we go, I got to call that up real quick. Yeah. Speaking of word selection, Andrew, we have Maneki. M-A-N-E-C-C-I, who said it was a five-star pod, but he said, my only quibble is that Andrew needs to stop saying play-by-player. It's play-by-play, as in Joe Davis is an up-and-coming play-by-play star in media, or Al Michaels is the best play-by-play announcer of all time, and then he goes to all caps, stop saying play-by-player. So thank you for your comment. All right, thanks for the five stars. I'm still going, no, I'll get rid of you regardless. That was correct. All right, fine. Play-by-player stays. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Team Marshan. Total Team Marshan on that. Yeah, I'll I'll stick with that.